when I left the bank, no one from the board called me actually and asked what had happened. So that's rather strange. I'm really happy to be back with another episode of The Laundry and today's guest is Viveka Stranger. Welcome so much to The Laundry. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. So you are a prolific person in the Nordic compliance community. And I know that the media sometimes refer to you as a whistleblower in the Svedbank case. And I know you don't really think of yourself as one. So can you, in your own words, tell what happened to the audience? Because we have a lot of listeners in Norway and Denmark who might not be that familiar with the case, and your involvement in it. Sure. Um, I was uh, the chief compliance officer of Swedbank uh, at 20, uh, nine, 2016. And at that time, we had uh, just got a new CEO. Uh, and the first time I, I reported uh, the quarterly report for the board and for also for the CEO, uh, we had done a, an audit of the Baltic business in the AML area and we found quite severe deficiencies so it was just like another day at the job <laughs> and i presented that report uh, as always compliance has uh, some findings that we report on and we expect the business to to close the findings and the gaps and that's sort of the purpose of uh, being a compliance officer uh, but uh, maybe I uh, I don't really know what what happened with the report because quite shortly afterwards uh, I left the company because uh, I and the CEO were not um, well we didn't agree on how, what to do with things and how things should be reported so uh, I felt at that time that I I to be a compliance officer you need to have that very strong support from from your boss which is your CEO. And I really didn't feel that I had it. So I felt that I had to leave. Uh, I didn't feel that support. And then uh, I didn't need to leave myself because uh, the CEO told me to leave. So we <laughs> we were not, um, didn't cooperate that well as I had been doing with the previous CEO. So I wasn't really a whistleblower. I was just doing my job as a compliance officer and reporting deficiencies that we had identified. And then later on, uh, there was this TV program in Sweden, and that was about three years later. Uh, it, and it showed that we were quite right in the compliance department. There were severe deficiencies, and my you didn't have the KYC, which resulted in uh, that there probably were quite a lot of um, fishy business and uh, customers uh, in the portfolio. And that's when uh, the case uh, blew up and the investigation started and which has now resulted in uh, this uh, big case in court. Yeah, it's not really the AML issues that is in the court. It's more about the CEO going out to the market in the end of 2018 saying that uh, there was uh, no no criminal activities in the portfolio and that uh, they in Swedbank had looked through everything and they had found nothing. Uh, so that's what the court is actually about. Uh, did she know what you were saying when she said that? In that case, uh, it would have been 
perhaps market abuse. So that's what the case is about. And but but uh, as part of this case, uh, you have been uh, been to court and and testified. And I know you can't go into details about like the case; it's still ongoing. But on a personal level, what has it been like to to testify in court in such a big case? Uh, it's it's been really bizarre. As um, when I started to read again about Swedbank when the TV show came and. They could. They had put all the puzzle together, showing all the, the um, customers that were in the portfolio, which I wasn't aware of. I just had reported that we didn't have the KYC in place. Uh, that was like taking some parts of a TV show or a film or something. It was very absurd. And then ending up being one of the main characters in this film, <laughs> that, that was the feeling of, of being in, in the court. But I must say that my part in the court, I was there a couple of weeks ago, it was more about telling the court and uh, the prosecutor about what does a compliance officer do? What is KYC? Why is it important to have KYC? So I it, I wasn't that interesting, I th- think, for the court out of, um, or for the prosecutor. It was, it was more about the facts and the details of how you work as a compliance officer. So I didn't have that you know, juicy details, I think, that came with other witnesses than me. But, uh, and then just, as you mentioned, being uh, dragged into this as sort of a main character and being mentioned in the media and being, you know, talked about as a whistleblower, which you don't necessarily identify, that must also have been kind of strange. Very weird. Everything is, is and, and then you follow this in media, at least in the Swedish media, and it's uh, all of these people that you've worked with it's it's very strange feeling <laughs> uh the Svedbank case is just one of several high profile cases that <clears throat> linked to aml and financial crime uh, you have the Donske bank case as well so in your opinion how has these very very profiled cases changed the culture of compliance in the nordics have they made an important impact on how we work to prevent money laundering and being more compliant in in your opinion I think uh, when this exploded in media, first the Danske Bank and then uh, the Swedbank case, it has been apparent for everyone, also ordinary people, that this isn't just about compliance and collecting the KYC and having the routines and processes in place. It's about real dirty money and money flowing out of Russia and other parts. It makes it really on a global level uh, and the geopolitical level, things that matters. If um, money hadn't been flowing out of Russia through the Baltics, and I'm not saying that it did through Swedbank, because, but we know it did through Danske Bank and, uh, and some other Nordic banks. Um, if that wouldn't have been the case, Putin wouldn't have the opportunity of... Um, paying his friends around him and maybe it wouldn't be so sure for him to sit there and invade Ukraine having all these people supporting him because he's actually bought that support and that was through these Nordic banks among other places of course but that's how they could buy their properties in London they could have their fancy schools for their children etc so it's it's really lifting it all up to it to another level uh, and I think we all have been much more aware of this. Uh, to be honest, 
2016, when I had this compliance report to the board of Swedbank, I was also naive. I, I looked upon it as a compliance issue, but it's not just a compliance issue. It's it's for real. Mm. I actually got a little chill down my spine hearing you talk about it because uh, the, you're right. It's not just a compliance exercise, but linked to actual people and real real life events that are important on a global global level. Um, you've been in the game for a while. Do you think now that banks and financial institutions have more the right tools to efficiently combat combat this problem with money laundering? Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> It's, I mean, the banks have been investing millions and billions of, uh, maybe not always the right things, but it's been so many investments in resources, in IT tools, in training for their staff. So, uh, of course, everyone is much, much more uh, aware and uh, have higher fences. And what might be scary on the other end is uh, when all the big banks and the really serious uh, actors on the market are shaping up in this area. I mean, the criminals, they're just looking for other ways of, of money laundering or laundering their money. So they're uh, going to smaller banks or to less serious uh, firms on the market. So they will find their way. Um, but it, it's pushing out and making it more polarized to, to the shady side of the financial industry. That's also dangerous. So I think the uh, regulators and the supervisory authorities uh, i know they are aware of this problem but the de-risking problem is also uh, very something you need to be very aware of that that is happening let's dig deeper into the topic of you know, culture of compliance you mentioned in the beginning that you had actually made up your mind to leave swedbank uh, before you were let go what were the signals that made it so certain that uh, it was the right choice? You mentioned the collaboration with top management, but was there anything else that uh, stood out as like, okay, this is, I need to leave. This is not a good place to work for me right now. No, it was actually uh, that problem because to be, uh, to work within the compliance department, it's it's not, it's it, you're very... Um, You're very exposed for criticism and you're not always coming with the good messages to the business. So in 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 a business, you need to have that really strong support within the culture and also from the top management. This um, tone from the top is, is so extremely important. So if you don't have that, you can't do a good job. And uh, I think that's important. And and this tone at the top is is so extremely important, and I didn't get that from the CEO at that time. And to be honest, I I don't really know what the board was like. I I had the feeling before it was the same board that they supported me, but when I left the bank, no one from the board called me actually and asked what had happened. So that's rather strange. Yeah, uh, I I agree. Um, and there's a lot of. But I, I can also I can also add that no one from the Finansinspektion and the Swedish FSA called me either, which is also strange. If mm. you look at in the inside, it's it's strange. 
you're still involved in, in compliance and you sit on several boards. How Do you have any reflections or thoughts on how things have changed since 2016 to now? Do you think the regulators and the board would have, you know, the regulators would have called you today if this, the same thing happened? To start with, actually, the regulation is, has changed. Uh, previously, it was only when the CRO left the bank that that had been lifted to the board and approved by the board and also the regulator. Now it's also the chief compliance officer is included in that routine. Um, it's EBA regulations. So mm. that would have happened. Uh, but, but I also think that not just because of my case, but about all the things that had happened, um, you really need to take care of your control functions because as a board member, those are actually your sort of insurance that things are working out well. So you need to have that very close connection between the board and the control functions. And I think also uh, the control functions have been lifted a bit. I don't know if it's good or bad, but previously the second line of defense always reported to the CEO and things went through the CEO. Now it's very clear that they go directly to the board as well. Mm. Um. So you sit on several boards now, and how do you make sure that the companies where where you are a board member now creates a culture where people dare to speak up if they see something is not right? That the second line report to you guys what you know the real findings, uh, good and bad. Well, I actually always have one on ones with all of the heads of the control functions uh, to create that sort of non structural uh, discussions before every board meeting or committee meeting where they can lift concerns or successes that they've seen and we have that dialogue i try to create uh, a forum where they can feel that they can always give me a phone call but at the same time it's of course important not to interfere too much in what is the domain of the ceo That is, you have to have the segregation of duties also on a board and CEO level. But I, I, I for my own comfort, I want to talk to the head of compliance um, on a regular basis. That feels important. And, and uh, for me, I also scrutinize the boards that I'm sitting in. I, I wouldn't sit in, in any board <laughs> that I was offered. I always check um, the owners and the culture of that company. Mm. Um, you mentioned also when we talked about, you know, back in 2016, that uh, you were also a bit naive, thought of it as like a compliance exercise uh, and et cetera. Now, uh, six years later, what are some of the other sort of reflections you've made and uh, things you've seen have changed over the that period of time? It is a lot about this naive thing. Uh, that things happen also in Swedish banks or in Nordic banks. I don't think we were aware of that. And also, which has been exposed uh, recently about the insiders in the companies. So if you are at the bank and you have a big credit loss, to always look into if there are any insiders involved in that. And it can also be a money laundering case or a fraud case. It's not always a credit loss only. Uh, and I think that is uh, something that we are understanding more and more. So I'm, it's, it's not always, I'm, 
I'm getting more and more suspicious <laughs> in things and seeing criminals. <laughs> and that's uh, perhaps not such a nice uh, way of looking upon business, but uh, it's sort of spilled over a bit that. There's a lot of young people starting in compliance. It's a growing profession, which, you know, it has exploded over the last uh, couple of years. What advice would you give to young professionals starting out in this field? And, uh, yeah. Um, to have integrity and to see that when things get tough, really ask yourself, do you want to take part of this business can you will you be able to look yourself in the mirror in a couple of years because uh, otherwise well you should try to give it a push but you will not be able to as a young compliance officer change a culture in a company so if it's really the wrong culture then you should look out for some other way to work i think that's uh, something that you need to bring with you because things tend to pop up even though it takes a couple of years afterwards it it does pop up and then you don't want to be one of the ones working and covering up things mm. good advice um you mentioned that uh, regulation has changed so now uh, the regulators also um uh, contact if the chief compliance officer leaves etc are there any other uh, regulation changes that you think are for the good and also if there's anything that's for the worse. Um, sometimes I think uh, in the AML area there is an over-regulation on a detailed level that we get from the EU um, and that hits us in Sweden uh, directly. Uh, I think if you have too many details there is a risk that you miss these cultural issues and you miss your sort of gut feeling uh, so that sort of management overlay is uh, missed because you have to do things in a tick-in-the-box compliance manner. And you don't have that many, I mean, the resources are limited. So if you have a lot of things you have to do on a detailed level, it, it sort of ends up in the tick-in-the-box compliance and uh, you stop thinking yourself. And I think that is uh, a risk with uh, some of the regulation that we see now. That is, I mean, every time there's a new AML directive or the guidelines we get from EABA, uh, they're longer and longer and more and more details. Uh, sometimes it's hard to tailor them for the business you're driving. So I think that's a risk. And I see we are starting to run out of time. So I'll wrap up with uh, two questions first. Um, are there any resources, books, podcasts, YouTube videos, accounts on LinkedIn, email list, etc., that uh, you would recommend people to follow to in order to stay updated on the updated on compliance AML? That's a, a good question. Um, I subscribe of the the Swedish police have quite a lot of good information in this area, and they also have uh, webinars. Uh, sometimes they're great, sometimes they're not so great, but it's still good to keep uh, keep up. Uh, before COVID, they had these uh, physical meetings and they, only 100 people could come. But now as their webinars, I think they're really good. And I am quite sure they're talking about trends and what they identify. And I'm sure that um, they're, they're open for also 
listeners in in other countries. Samordningsfunktionen is uh, the name of it. So that's a, a good good source, I think. That's a good tip. And finally, um, what is the best thing about working in compliance? This is going to sound really cheesy, but it's it's making the world a little bit better. Uh, and I do a lot of training and sometimes training to groups that haven't been working with this as much as they should have. And to see them understand their part of this big puzzle uh, and the geopolitical areas and also the criminality and the shootings that we've had in Sweden and their little part in this link it makes difference I think that's really the best part I think that was a really really good answer thank you so much for coming on the laundry Viveka I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure our listeners will too thank you so much thank you your money make a world go.